We're going to be in Hebrews 10 and verse 26. Actually, we'll begin reading in verse 24 here in just a moment. But <clears throat> The Pharisees and Sadducees in Jesus' day were part of the religious leadership, and they were immersed in the Word of God. They, they studied in the schools of that day. Uh, they knew all about the Scripture, but they didn't know the one who wrote the Scripture. And uh, they had rebelled as a pattern and had followed a pattern of wickedness in their lives. And when Christ came on the scene, that didn't change. That just got worse. They began to rebel even more against him. Their hearts became hard against God. And they began to lash out and ultimately put Jesus to death. But before that, they blasphemed the very Spirit of God who was dealing with them in their heart. They had become so hard-hearted toward God that the tender work of the Holy Spirit in them was despised, and they lashed out and said it was of the devil. Jesus told them they were guilty of internal sin, not because God couldn't forgive a sin, but because the Holy Spirit would never strive again in their lives and they would be destined for hell this inner hardening of heart happens in the church today uh, we we heard I've heard somebody this week was telling me about a church that is promoting uh, sexual immorality and saying everything's okay you can you can have sex with whoever you want to have sex with uh, that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches one man, one woman, in the context of marriage for a lifetime. That's God's standard. And so uh, all sex outside of that marriage relationship is sin in the eyes of God. Uh, but there are those in the church who are teaching that. There are some who are denying who, who Christ is. Uh, there are some uh, who are promoting uh, alternative ways of looking at things, even even promoting, I heard a few weeks ago, about churches that now are talking about critical race theory. Uh, listen, I want to tell you something. Critical race theory is not a biblical idea. It's communism. And uh, it has no business in the church. But there are people that are preaching that in the church. It's the opposite of what Christ said, which is to love your neighbor as yourself. Critical race theory says we're all enemies and we're all going to stay that way. <laughs> you know. Uh, and so, uh, listen, that's not the word of God. But there are people that are teaching against the truth of God's word. There's also people who are very, in some in, in very prominent positions, who are leaving the church. A few years ago, I heard about a very prominent megachurch pastor who left his church, denied his faith, divorced his wife, and moved to Canada. Um, and uh, listen, I want to tell you something. There's something seriously wrong in those situations. And I don't believe those people have ever come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. There's never been a time they've repented of their sin. You say, well, surely if a man is a pastor, he has confessed Christ at some point. Well, sure he has. He's probably walked an aisle. He's probably prayed a prayer, but his heart was not repentant. 
You know what Romans says in Romans 10 where it says if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart? It says this is the word of faith which we proclaim to you. It's not just the word of confession. It's the word of confession expressed in faith. Jesus is my Lord. I bow the knee to Jesus Christ. I repent of my sin. And when that is genuinely said, God will never turn his back on that. But many people, and I can speak from experience because I did this when I was a young boy, go through the motions of those things without really having the word of faith that they're saying, Jesus is my Lord. Um, Christ himself said, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not do many miracles in your name and cast out demons and all of these things? And he will say, depart from me, I never knew you. You see, it's not enough just to put Christian over your head and call yourself a Christian or to go through the motions, you must repent of your sin. And repentance is just simply a choice of faith. It is the word of faith that we just mentioned. The choice of faith to turn from my sin in my own way to follow Christ. And the Bible calls that conversion. And when conversion, true conversion happens, it's eternal. Uh, it can never be lost. It is eternal life. Uh, Jesus said um, that uh, if the one who believes in me has eternal life. You see, it is that faith in Jesus Christ that we express as we repent of our sin uh, to follow him that truly converts the soul and changes a heart and a life. Uh, we need to understand that there are those with the name pastor or the title pastor or deacon or Sunday school teacher who are not even saved. I, I went to school where there was, we had our seminary president was pastoring a church when he went to W.A. Crystal School of the Prophets years ago, and he fell under the conviction of the Holy Spirit and gave his heart to Christ, and he went home to his church and got baptized at his church. The pastor was lost. Listen, that happens. Uh, I, I've got a family member who was told by a Sunday school teacher that he couldn't trust the Word of God. I'm going to tell you something. That's a a lie from the very pit of hell. And so we need to understand that this, this is a reality in the church today just as it was back then. But for those who are in the church, it's one thing for somebody who's a lost person who doesn't know Christ to curse the name of Christ or to reject Christianity. It's another thing for somebody who has been in the church who has heard the word of God, who has sensed the spirit of God tug upon their heart, uh, who has known the sweet fellowship of the people of God. Uh, when those people reject, it's on a whole different category of sin. Uh, and that is the sin that we are talking about tonight. Uh, I, some people call this the sin of apostasy. I think uh, apostasy is not somebody who is genuinely saved becoming unsaved. That's what some people believe. I believe apostasy is, is somebody who is among the people of God, but not truly one of them. They are the wolves in sheep's clothing that the scripture talks about. Uh, they've never been converted, right? Jesus said that uh, by their fruits, 
you shall know them. Now, sometimes those fruits don't happen right away. Sometimes they happen later on. But, but that the fruits, you shall know them. That, that what is in their heart will eventually come out. But uh, anyway, um, this is something that is, is around us everywhere. Uh, repentance is important, not just to avoid the judgment of God in hell, but it's also important to enter into the blessings of God, right? Jesus said uh, there is a broad way and there's a narrow way. The broad way leads to destruction. The narrow way leads to life. The narrow way is the way of repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. And so as we choose that narrow way, along with that narrow way come amazing blessings. The joy of the Lord, the peace that passes understanding, and, uh, and, and the assurance of a home in heaven that is yet to come. Uh, so we need these things. We need repentance uh, for, the, for these things. We also need repentance as Christians because it keeps us in connection with God. Uh, now this passage is, is primarily, I think, addressing lost people just in this section right here. It goes on and addresses saved people just a few verses later. But um, this particular section is... is uh, is addressing these phony lost people, uh, and uh, the verses that I'm going to read before the before the couple of, before these uh, this particular paragraph uh, are trying to get Christians to encourage people in the assembly so that somebody doesn't commit this sin. Do you, what if I'm not saying there is somebody? Okay, so don't look at your neighbor. But what if there was somebody sitting in this building tonight who was on the verge of committing this sin. And your word of encouragement was the difference between them going to hell or going to heaven. That's kind of the situation that's, that's, that's presented here. So, um, so we need, uh, as God's people, to take very seriously the opportunities that we have to love people in this body, to pray for them. Uh, to talk to them about the things of God, to talk about the, the precious things uh, uh, that God blesses us with as his people, uh, as, as he leads us by his spirit, but to be an instrument in his hand because we truly can make a difference, an eternal difference in the life of somebody who may be considering this sin. Um, so... Um, as God's people, we need to keep our eyes open. And then, of course, if you don't know Christ, you need to trust him while you can. Trust him while you have the opportunity and the desire. So the title of my message is The Danger of Refusing to Repent. The Danger of Refusing to Repent. And uh, I'm going to start in verse 24, even though 26 is really the passage we're going to be looking at. Look at verse 24. It says, And let us watch out for one another. To provoke love and good works, not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other and all the more as you see the day approaching. For if we deliberately go on sinning after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of fire about to consume the adversaries. 
Anyone who disregarded the law of Moses died without mercy based on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think one will deserve who has trampled on the Son of God, who has regarded as profane the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified, and who has insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know the one who has said, Vengeance belongs to me, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. So the danger of refusing to repent. What is that danger? If we refuse to repent as God's assembly of people and as individuals within that assembly, uh, we will be in danger, first of all, of missing Christ's sacrifice. Missing Christ's sacrifice. Verse 26 says, they're no longer, if we deliberately go on sinning, in other words, I'm hearing the gospel, but I refuse to repent. I keep on going that path of rebellion. I keep on resisting. If I keep on doing that, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin. What is he saying? Without repentance, you will never benefit from the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Christ died for you. Christ died for me. Praise God. Praise his name. That he paid that that price that he lived the righteous life I couldn't live that he died the death I deserved and then he rose in mighty power to show me that he could raise me up one day Um, praise God for that but if I don't repent I miss it the only provision that God has made the scripture says there's none other name given under heaven among men whereby we must be saved Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And since that is the case, if we refuse to repent and trust in Jesus, there is no sacrifice for sin. People can ask God to forgive them until they're blue in the face, but if they refuse to repent, they'll go to hell. That's the truth of Scripture. Um, now, you say, well, what I've, I've seen people in the Word of God ask God to forgive them, say, Lord, forgive me, uh, and, and Jesus forgave them. Well, that's true. But along with that is, it's the Word of faith that we were talking about earlier, right? It's not just a word they're saying, it's a word of faith. And that word of faith is an implied surrender of the heart. You see, it's all about the heart. People can say all kinds of things and they can, they can try to relate to God, but without repentance, without that true surrender of their heart to Christ, they miss the sacrifice. So, uh, I don't want to miss Christ's sacrifice. So, if you're here tonight uh, and you don't know Christ, please, before you leave this place, repent of your sin so that you can know him. Uh, If you know someone who you think has not repented of their sin, pray for them. That God would give them the grace to repent. And uh, that God would extend his patience and grace. So, when you, uh, the danger of refusing to to repent, what's the danger? Well, we face the danger of missing Christ's sacrifice. Secondly, of experiencing Christ's judgment. 
verse 27 says, well, look at, look at verse 26 again. For if we deliberately go on sinning after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin, but a terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of fire. Now, this is not very politically correct today, but it is still true. Uh, Christ is not just a savior. He's a judge. And though Christ, in, in his desire, and his heart of hearts, as he wept over the city of Jerusalem, he said, how I would gather you under my wings, but you would not. Uh, Christ has a heart to see every, the scripture says, it's not his will that any should perish, but that all should come to the knowledge of repentance. And yet, Christ is a judge. And if people do not repent and put their trust in Jesus, they'll meet Jesus as their judge. And there'll be no excuse. As you see the nail scars and the, the, the mark of the crown of thorns upon his head, the one who is the great and the glorious king of heaven, how can you say anything when you have resisted the very provision that Jesus has made? Uh, and, and it will be a fury of fire. Hell is unpopular today. Listen, if you look at the book of Revelation, you see Christ as judge in the book of Revelation, don't you? And, and the different judgments that come upon the people. And there's a call to repent, right? That's the call. The judgment is coming because they have refused to repent. And what do they do? Some of them repent, praise God. Uh, but some of them shake their fist. In the face of God, they curse him, even though they're experiencing judgment. I believe that the person who dies without Christ will continue in their rebellion and in their sin and in their cursing of God for all eternity, and they will continue the experience of the punishment of God every day that they, that throughout eternity without it ever ceasing. Uh, this judgment is the just penalty for sin. And so, uh, very, very, uh, very sobering thing to think about. Um, so, the danger of refusing to repent is that we, we're missing Christ's sacrifice. We're experiencing Christ's judgment. Uh, we're becoming Christ's enemies. He says, the fury of fire, in verse 27, about to consume the adversaries. The adversaries. You see, if you won't embrace Christ as Savior through repentance, you become his adversary. Now, all, all unbelievers are the enemies of God, according to Scripture, because we're, we have a bent in our old nature. For Christians, it's an old nature. But for a lost person, it's, it's the nature they have is, is bent against God's nature. But for the person who, who comes into the house of God or who meets with the people of God and hears the word of God and continues in that rebellion and hardens against God, they become an enemy with a capital E. That's what the Pharisees were doing. They, they followed Jesus around. They couldn't give him enough opposition. Every breath they took, they were trying to give him a hard time. Every plan they had was, how can we kill this guy? How can we stop his ministry? They had become enemies with a capital E, 
because they had hardened themselves to the truth of God's word through refusing to repent. And so they became God's enemies. Uh, I love that verse, if God is for us, who can be against us? But the converse is also true. If God is against us, who can be for us? And that's part of America's problem today. We have rejected God. And if God is against us, who can be for us? Listen, I, God is able to bring judgment that our technology can't handle. We're experiencing it. We're experiencing the sickness. You, you say, well, Pastor, you just, had it. you just had the sickness. What are you talking about? Well, I understand, you know, hopefully the righteous suffer with the wicked in this case in the nation. But, uh, but, but they, I mean, it's true, right? Here's something we can't handle. We, years ago, with, with 9-11, we had a new enemy that our technology, they hide in caves. They don't use electronics that we can monitor. Uh, you know, it, it's like God says, okay, you think you can defy me and you think you can resist me. Listen, I am able to bring judgment. And God has done that. And I think he's given us a spirit of delusion. And we're, 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 we're doing things in our country that make absolutely no sense. Because God, I think, has given us over to a foolish heart because of judgment. So uh, this is true on an individual level. As a person becomes an enemy with a capital E, they become those that God is opposing. I told you years ago, uh, I had a friend in Texas. He was preaching a message. There was this guy in his church that caused all of this trouble and uh, just was used by the enemy to, to bring a constant undercurrent in the church. And, and uh, he was preaching on judgment one day and said something about, you know, God. God uh, I think he actually used the terminology of God putting somebody to death. And he happened to point at that guy. And he said, I wasn't thinking about it. I was just kind of, I was making motions with my hand. But he pointed to that guy and the guy dropped dead right there in the service. And so they, you know, of course the service is over. They're calling 911. They're, they're trying to get this guy out of there. And he died. And, and the, my pastor friend told me, he said, revival came. Because this E, enemy, capital E, was taken out of the way. And God began to work and move in that church. And it was blessed. So um, the danger of refusing to repent is that we can miss. We're missing Christ's sacrifice. We're experiencing Christ's judgment. We're becoming Christ's enemies. We're hindering Christ's mercy. Verse 28, anyone who disregarded the law of Moses died without mercy based on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Now, uh, if, they, if they were to say, let's go worship other gods, they were, according to Scripture, they were to be put to death for rejecting God's law. Uh, the, the sin of adultery was another thing that could carry the death penalty. There's a number of things. But um, this idea of rejecting Christ, uh, of, of rejecting God's law, you had to have two witnesses that were witnesses of it, and that person could be put to death. Well, what he's saying is, if that's what God did under the old covenant, and it's not as good as the new covenant, that's what he did with the old method that was a foreshadowing of the real intention he had all along. What's he going to do under the new covenant? 
If we reject Christ, that is so much worse. But what is God trying to do in Christ? He's trying to extend us mercy. But if we reject his method of sending us mercy, we're hindering the very mercy he's trying to extend to us. Listen, I hear people say, well, why would a loving God send somebody to hell? God doesn't send anybody to hell. We send ourselves to hell because we refuse the mercy of God. We refuse the law of God. And we rebel against him and we choose to go our own way. We make that choice, right? Adam and Eve, you can eat of any tree in the garden except for one. And what did they do? They went to one tree, right? And they ate of the tree. Uh, listen, we make our own choice. Sin came into the world through the choice of human beings to rebel against God. And so we hinder the very mercy. When we reject Christ, we hinder the very mercy that God desires to extend to us. What a tragedy. Next, he says, when we, we're in danger uh, of, of trampling Christ's blood. Look at verse 29. How much worse punishment do you think one will deserve who has trampled on the Son of God? Just think about that for a second. Suppose Jesus showed up at church tonight and we had two or three people who started trampling over him. Trying to crush him or, or hurt him or whatever. Trampling over him, despising him. What about the precious blood that he shed that cleanses our sin? He says they despise it. He, he says, how much more do you think uh, one will deserve his trample the Son of God who is regarded as profane that or common, the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified. Now, that by which he was sanctified is potential, right? The blood of Jesus Christ was shed for the sins of the world. But it only applies to you if you repent and trust Jesus, right? So the sanctification is there for you. If you repent and trust Jesus, hallelujah. <laughs> but it will not be applied until you repent and trust Jesus. But it's still the blood by which you were sanctified. The price has been paid. You may not benefit from it, but the price has been paid. So if you treat that as a common thing, that is a very great insult to the Lord. Uh, can you imagine... I mean, I, I wouldn't, I don't think I'd give my son for anybody else. You know what I'm saying? I don't think I could do that. God did. What an insult would it be if you gave your son for somebody else to save their life and they spit on your son's grave? How would you feel about that? That's how God feels when we refuse to repent after hearing the gospel and having his work within our hearts. Next, uh, the dangers of, of refusing to repent. What dangers? We're missing Christ's sacrifice. We're experiencing Christ's judgment. We're becoming Christ's enemies. We're hindering Christ's mercy. We're trampling Christ's blood. We're offending Christ's spirit. Verse 29, the very end of verse 29, and who has insulted the spirit of grace? Now, here's the real rub. 
Jesus said, if you, if you curse or blaspheme me, well, the Father, you can be forgiven. But if you blaspheme the Spirit, there's no forgiveness for that. You see, this person becomes so hard-hearted that they cross a threshold and they insult the Spirit of grace. Now, for the Pharisees, it was saying, it is by Beelzebub that he casts out demons. And uh, that what they were saying, they were under conviction. Jesus is preaching and the Spirit of God is convicting them. And they're saying, this is of the devil. And what they had done is they had crossed that threshold. And they had committed an eternal sin. Now, it may not look exactly like that uh, with, with someone else. But, but the idea is that the Spirit of God is insulted by the rebellion. It, gets, it reaches a hardness of heart that is so great that it insults him. And he just withdraws. And he is not going to work any longer in that heart. And that person's fate is sealed at that moment. That's a serious thing to think about. Uh, this is one reason that he is encouraging the believers to assemble together and to encourage one another because of these kinds of issues. Uh, so, um, finally, the danger of refusing to, rep to repent is that we face Christ's vengeance. Look at verse 30. For we know the one who has said, vengeance belongs to me, I will repay. Of course, God has said this in the word of God in the Old Testament. And again, the Lord would judge his people. Now, who are his people? His people is used in several different ways. It's used of the assembly of Israel in the Old Testament. That's what this specifically is talking about. Uh, who, are in the, who are the people in the assembly of Israel? Well, some of them in the book of Numbers were Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. You remember them? They rebelled against Moses and, and were causing Moses trouble. And Moses says, hey, you, your complaint's not with me. It's with God. And he says, the ground's going to open up and swallow you. And pff, all of a sudden, Korah, Dathan, and Abiram aren't there anymore. And, uh, it, I mean, it's, uh, I, I shouldn't probably laugh, but, it, I mean, it's, it's, an amazing, it's an amazing thing just how quickly. Sometimes we think, you know, God's. What are, what are we going to do with this, this problem with these, these people that hate you? How are you going to handle this, God? It was over that quick. All God has to do is speak. And uh, they're gone. So, so his people in that context were the people of Israel. But there is a sense in which, uh, uh, of course, I've already told you, I don't believe these are people who have been genuinely saved. Okay, So I don't believe these are the the people, capital P, of God, okay? But uh, there is a sense in which all of us are the people of God because who created us? God. There's not a one of us that breathes without the creative work and hand of God. So God judges his people, uh, and the Bible does teach that. It teaches that all unbelievers will be judged and that believers will be judged. We'll, we'll be judged the judgment of rewards, I believe, uh, and unbelievers will be, will be judged for the specific sins. But he says it is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of a living God. You know, sometimes we forget that. It's serious business to enter eternity without Christ. Um, listen, I, 
you know, God at certain points of history showed a little bit of the danger of his presence. When Moses and Aaron had set up the tabernacle, Aaron's two sons, Nadab and Abihu, had just been told not to offer unauthorized fire outside of the courtyard. And that's what they did. They just took it. It was kind of like a two-year-old. You said, don't touch that, and they go and touch it. Uh, they took it, and they, they went right outside the tabernacle wall and started offering this unauthorized fire. And the Bible says fire came from the tabernacle and consumed them. There was nothing left except the censers they were holding. And they took those and put them on top of the bronze altar. Um, serious business. Uzzah. <laughs> My preacher used to say, Uzzah touched the ark and Uzzah was a... <laughs> he, uh, God struck Uzzah down. You weren't supposed to touch the ark. And Uzzah is steadying the ark on a cart. They weren't supposed to be carrying it on a cart in the first place, which is why God told them to have four guys who were supposed to be Levites to carry the ark of God in the way that it was prescribed. And they didn't do it that way, which that's never a good idea when you don't do it God's way. But uh, Uzzah reaches out his hand to steady, steady the ark, and God strikes him dead for his presumption. Or what about in the New Testament? Ananias and Sapphira, right? They say, well, you know, all these people, Barnabas, these people are giving money to the church. They're selling their money, giving it to the church. and Everybody thinks they're great people. Let's do this. Let's sell this land, but let's keep part of it back for ourselves. And we'll just tell people that we're giving the whole amount to the church. And so they come and they bring their, their stuff to Peter. And Peter says, uh, uh, first, I believe it was... Uh, Ananias, and then, uh, uh, you know, and he says, uh, are you bringing the whole proceeds of this? And, uh, and he, he said, yes. And he says, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? Uh, you're you're going to be put to death. And God struck him down right there. His wife comes in a few minutes later. He says, did you bring the whole amount? She says, yes, we did. The ones that just picked up your husband take him to the graveyard are picking, picking you up. And she fell down, and she, she died immediately. You see, I'm, I'm glad God doesn't deal with us like that all the time, because you and I would be history long ago, right? <laughs> I mean, we, we uh, praise God that he deals with us most of the time in, in amazing grace, and he's long-suffering. But I'm going to tell you something. These glimpses of the danger of God's presence are good for us because it tells us how important salvation is. You see, it's not that I can just kind of sort of reform my life and, and maybe please God and he'll let me into heaven. No, my problem is so desperate and I'm in such danger of the wrath and judgment of God without Christ, I would plunge into hell face first. That's where I'm at. That's where every one of us are at. Uh, the Bible says that God gave the law to make sin exceedingly sinful. He gave us the law to show us how sinful we really were. Because we just don't have a concept. We're so immersed in sin, we don't even notice it a lot of the time. But uh, God recognizes because he's perfect and he's holy. You see, Christ is critical. Without Jesus, there's no eternal life. And so that's why repentance is so crucial. If you don't know Christ, can I encourage you today? Repent. Don't let anything hold you back from it. 
Repent and put your trust in Jesus tonight. If you do know Christ, pray for the people of this congregation that those who have not genuinely repented will do so so that we won't be in danger of this sin. And pray for our culture. Our culture is going down the fast track of wickedness, and there are many people in the church who are rejecting the things of God for the things of this world, and it is a tragedy with eternal consequences. We, we truly need to pray for our brothers and sisters. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we, we thank you for giving us the warnings that you give us in your word, Lord, because it makes it vivid to us how desperate the need is for people to know Jesus Christ. Father, let our hearts be tender toward you to hear when you uh, prompt us to share Christ with somebody that needs Jesus. Let our hearts be moved to pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ, Lord, who don't, uh, who, who uh, are maybe not full in the sense of being saved, brothers and sisters, but they're people that we know. And, um, and, and Lord, I pray that we, we would pray for them, pray for their salvation, God, if they're in this assembly and they don't know you. Lord, sometimes we don't know who they are, just as they didn't know who Judas was. But, Lord, you do. And so just use our prayers and use our encouragement to turn people from hell and eternal uh, judgment, God, so that uh, they can put their faith and trust in Jesus and truly repent of their sin. And, uh, Father, um, we thank you for telling us the truth so that we can respond to it.